Walters is open for lunch Monday through Friday. Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Thursday's another jam-packed day at Walters. The Nats are playing in the afternoon, and then the Wizards have a must-win game at night. You and your friends can come check out the beer wall with tons of options, including many local drafts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the pitch. Soto swings and belts one to deep right field. This is down the line. This is way back. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Off the scoreboard, down the right field line, a home run for Juan Soto. Bang, zoom goes Soto with his fourth of the year. Boy, we've been waiting to see that. 421 feet, the estimated distance. Looking to get the inning started here in the seventh, the pitch. Swing and a miss, the ball gets by Contreras to the backstop, and Turner is going to reach first. The throw gets by into right field, but it's backed up there by the right fielder, Bryant. So... No, they're call- are they calling Turner out? They're calling Turner out for the Trey Turner rule. Are you kidding me? And Davey Martinez is going to come out and argue this with Chris Conroy, saying that Turner was illegally running down the path. And now Davey is running himself through the bag, and he's been tossed out of the game. Davey Martinez is ejected, and he is about sick of that rule. He's mimicking what Turner did. He's picking the base up out. He's going to pick the base out, a la Lou Pinnell, and he slams it down. He slams the base and kicks the base. Davey Martinez, wow. Hand to the belt, the kick and the pitch is in there. Strike three called. Duffy couldn't pull the trigger on a fastball at 93 miles an hour. And take a deep breath, a curly W's in the books. I am beside myself now with this whole out of the baseline thing. I really am. I think it's awful. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, May 20th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. A wild day and night for the Nationals in Chicago on Wednesday. But the Nats do win a 4-3 victory at the Chicago Cubs in Game 3 of a four-game series. Just the fifth win in 15 games for the Nats, who get to 17-22 and 22 on the season. Nats overcome Max Scherzer lasting for just five innings. Nats overcome Brad Hand struggling in the bottom of the ninth. Nats overcome Victor Robles leaving the game due to a right ankle injury. And the Nats overcome Davey Martinez 
being ejected. You know, I was a little worried about Davey Mark because he was having a hard time getting the first base bag out of the ground, but he eventually got there and then he tossed it, he spiked it, and then he kicked it and it ended up being an all-time moment from Davey. I was hoping that he was going to pull a full Lloyd McClendon and just take the base with him all the way down the dugout steps and literally steal first base, which I think has only been happened happen one time before Lloyd McClendon of the Pirates back in the day. That was an epic rant from him, and his post-game comments were even more epic as he did not hold back on his feelings on the interference call and rule, which once again got Trey Turner. Trey didn't hold back. Well, he held back a little bit, but he made his voice known as well on it. I mean, so much happened in this game and on this day. It's pretty remarkable how much we have to go through here, and it's just yet another crazy day and night at Wrigley Field for the Nationals, who have had a ton of these over the years in playoff series, walk-offs, you name it. Every time they go to Wrigley Field, something happens, and this one is high up on the list now for crazy days at Wrigley. Do you think Randy Nor considered assisting Davey in trying to yank first base out of the ground? Or you think Randy was like, no way am I doing that. This is Davey's moment. He's got to figure this out on his own. I think the most underrated part of that was if you watch Randy as he's like sort of like just backing away, not saying anything, not getting involved at all. Hey, this is your job here, Skip. You you handle this however you want. I thought that was great. <laughs> Game six of the World Series, when Davey's veins are popping out of his neck and he's going after the umpires and Chip Hale is trying to restrain him. That's as animated as I've ever seen him. This was pretty close. This was right up there and in a different kind of way. And it's just all the frustration of this call happening to them over and over again, and specifically to Trey Turner that I think put him over the edge. And he made it clear he does not like this rule and he does not think that it should be applied the way it is continued to be applied. It's such a weird rule. I mean, let's just get to it right now. So Trey Turner in the uh, game gets called out. This was in the top of the seventh inning, called out for running inside the first baseline and attempting to get to first base on a wild pitch on a swing and miss strike three. Turner gets called out despite literally running straight down the first baseline and then the throw going behind him. Davey comes out to argue, is immediately ejected for walking onto the field of play. So the ejection made sense. You can't do as Davey did and walk onto the field of play like that. But of course, Davey then got his money's worth. Ripped first base out of the ground. Like I said, it took a few seconds. Then spiked the bag, then kicked the bag. And it was a near facsimile of what went down in World Series Game 6. Now, tell me if I'm wrong on this. It seems to me that the rule, if you read it, and it, it's tedious, it's onerous, we're not going to go through like it line by line, but the rule is that it's not that the runner is out if he runs inside the first baseline. It's that the runner is out if he runs inside the first baseline and in doing so interferes with the fielder taking the throw at first base, except that the batter runner is permitted to exit the three-foot lane by means of a step astride, a reach or slide in the immediate vicinity of first base for the sole purpose of touching first base. So like, it's not just where you are, it's if where you are is interfering with what's happening. I don't see the interference happening. Like, I totally understand where Davey's coming from. This is a judgment interpretation of the rule, and it seems like it's not being interpreted properly. You are correct in everything you just said there, and this is officially, if you want to look it up, rule 5.09A11 gets that detailed. And there's a lot of things in rule 5.09A, all the different ways that a batter can be called out. This is the specific instance here. And the key there, as you said, is there's two things that have to happen. Number one, the umpire has to see that the runner is not in the three-foot-wide baseline. Number two, in his judgment, he has to determine that he did interfere with the fielder taking the throw. Now, on this play, and I would argue the same thing from the World Series game, he was going to be safe no matter what. 
he had reached the base at the point that the ball got there. And in this one, and, and Trey brought this up as well, he, he said he thought this one was even worse than the World Series call. And I think I agree because the throw was so far offline that it did not, it didn't matter. <laughs> it ultimately did not matter. There was no way the play could be made. And I think what their argument here is, in addition to just the simple idea of run straight at first base, wherever that takes you, that's the baseline. You're doing nothing wrong to do otherwise. But the second part of it is, is that it's rewarding catchers and sometimes pitchers for making bad throws. And we've even heard of cases where they're instructed, go ahead and purposely throw the ball at the runner to get the call. And that's totally not in the spirit of how this should work. If the runner would get there no matter what, then the catcher, the defensive team should not be rewarded by just saying, okay, well, I'm going to purposely throw the ball poorly to try to incite the call. That's wrong. Everybody in baseball hates the rule. I don't know why it hasn't been changed because it comes up enough, obviously. And uh, maybe Davey's words after this game will help convince somebody that something needs to be done. I'm really surprised it wasn't changed after World Series Game 6 in 2019. And I have seen this thing out there of like, well, don't blame the umpires. They're just abiding by the rule. No, they're not. They're not interpreting the rule correctly. As we just said pretty clearly, it's not just where you're running. It's if where you're running interferes with the first baseman trying to receive the throw. That's not happening with Trey Turner. Like He could not have been more of a saint with the way he ran the base pass on that play, and yet he still gets called out. I just couldn't get over that. I guess the bright side to all of this is the Nats won both games, and neither play ended up really factoring in to either win. I mean, that World Series game, that was game six. That was a 7-2 win at the Houston Astros. And of course, on Wednesday night, the Nats do end up winning. Ends up being close, thanks to Brad Hand, who we'll get to. But it does end up being a 4-3 win. And Trey does end up having a good game. It's funny, you know, the Nats offense, again, was not great. But Trey Turner was very good. Juan Soto was terrific. And Victor Robles was good. That 9-1-2 setup for Davey Martinez actually played out well for one. So good to see that with Trey. But like, to me, it would be one thing if the Nats lost the game. They won it, and so we can kind of almost laugh about this. It's just absurd that this rule is still not being applied properly. Like, forget about changing the rule, although I agree with you, it should be changed, but apply the rule properly. That's not happening in these instances. Yeah, no, you're right that they won both these games, but it wouldn't have taken much for in either case for change. And remember, in the World Series, Anthony Rendon saved the day with the home run right after it, and then obviously Steven Strasburg pitching into the ninth inning of an elimination game. And in this one, I mean, they won this game by the skin of their teeth. And there were plenty of opportunities late where they could have added on to their lead and they did not. Some of that, you know, was the fault of guys making outs with runners in scoring position, of Juan Soto getting caught stealing in a spot that I didn't think it was necessary to try to steal. But the interference call did impact that. If he is allowed to stay at first base on that play, Soto comes up in singles and later in the inning, Schwarber walks. I mean, there was a chance to add on there in the seventh inning. Ultimately, it didn't cost them, but they weren't very far away from that play and that call absolutely costing them this game. That would have been a killer to lose that game on Wednesday night. Thankfully, the Nationals did not. Trey for the game, two for five with two singles, an RBI, a stolen base, two run 30 as a one-out ribby single, despite having him down to the count of 1.02, has a stolen base, also has a single in the top of the ninth. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service 
to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. Hey, NatChat listeners, Tim Shovers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. If you struggle with sleep like myself and you stay awake at night and stare at the ceiling and you're always looking for new ways to help you fall asleep, this is a route to go. My head hits the pillow and right away I go to sleep. That hasn't happened to me ever before in my entire life. Fortunately, it's because of Sunday Scaries. They make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like myself. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help me decompress, clear my head, and fall asleep so I can actually wake up and get on with my business the next day. NatChat listeners, we got a special promo offer for you. Go to sundayscaries.com, type in the promo code NatChat, and get 25% off your first order. That's 25% off your first order if you go on to sundayscaries.com and type in the promo code NatChat. Again, sundayscaries.com, promo code NatChat. Save 25% off your first order. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And runner going from first. They'll throw on through the tag and Soto is out. Juan Soto. So there was good and there was not so good. So first of all, the good. Three for five of the homer and two singles. The homer was something else. Soto blasting a full count leadoff homer in the top of the fifth on a ball that went off the right field scoreboard off him having been down on his left knee. It looked like he was proposing. No, he wasn't proposing. He was hitting a home run off the right field scoreboard. The homer went a projected 421 feet per stat cast. Soto in the game also with a one-out single on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats two-run third and a one-out single on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the seventh. As a hitter, Juan Soto is having a very nice series. Remember, he had a double in the previous game. He's had a couple of singles prior to this game on Wednesday night. But there was the boo-boo that you just referenced. And this drove me nuts watching this. Another caught stealing for Juan Soto. Andrew Stevenson is on third. There's one out. It's the top of the ninth inning. You sure could have used a tack-on run at that moment. And Soto gets gunned down on a bullet of a throw, yes, by the Cubs catcher, Wilson Contreras. But that's the thing. These guys are major league catchers. They have good arms. And this trend now in baseball of catchers throwing behind runners so that they can be tagged prior to coming in contact with second base, that's a thing. So Juan Soto, who's not exactly Ricky Henderson to begin with, gets caught stealing again. He's now one for four on stolen bases on the year. It's been a while since we've done a a rant on the Nationals making unnecessary outs on the base pass. That has kind of calmed down. But man, that was a bad one, I thought, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I agreed. He was trying to say that he thought, you know, he he saw it, he went for it, he felt like it was worth the the risk and that it was a good throw to get him. Um, But in that spot, with a runner on third, 
and only one out that just did not feel like there was enough benefit to it. You're trying to score one. That's a manufacturer, a run kind of inning, not a, we need a big inning here to get from four, two to five, two would be huge. Now, who knows what happens after that, whether Josh Bell would have driven in Andrew, Andrew Stevenson from third or not, but at least give him the opportunity just to hit a fly ball and bring the run home. So that was a bad one, but that was the only bad thing Soto did in this game. And I do think what he did at the plate was real significant. At a point there, he was five for his last seven with three singles, a double, and a homer, and hitting the ball with authority again, hitting the ball in the air. And I think you said he went down on a knee that looked like he was proposing. I think he was proposing to Nationals fans to say, hey, don't give up on me. Stick with me, everyone. I can still do this for a living because he looks, at least in the last couple of days, like the real Juan Soto again. That homer was awesome. I watched the replay of that about 15 times. It just That, that was a, one of those majestic, you know, Ruthian clouts that a guy like Juan Soto was capable of. It was great to see that. We, of course, have been begging for that. More power. Elevate the baseball. Soto elevated the baseball and then some on that homer. So great job there. And then Victor Robles. So an eventful night for Victor. He goes two for three. He has a one-out double in the Nats two-run third. Has a two-out full count ribby single in the top of the fourth, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And this was a spot to me where Robles batting ninth, the pitcher batting eighth, almost cost the Nats because Max Scherzer came up with a runner on second, one out, ended up grounding out. Thankfully, Robles then followed that with his hit. But, you know, that to me is one of the dangers of Davey continuing to do this batting pitchers in the eighth spot. But Robles delivers there. Uh, also gets credited with another outfield assist. Bottom of the second, Eric Sogard thrown out at home on a relay throw by Trey Turner from Robles on the two-out RBI single by Nico Horner. But Robles gets hurt, a right ankle injury. Gomes will jog in and score. Robles trips going around first, and he's hurt. Hobbling back to first. Robles, is, they're telling him that he was going to walk off the field. Randy North says, stay on the base. And I saw what you tweeted after the game. You know, we don't know anything for sure, but it sounds like this could end up being something that costs Robles some time. It could. They said they were going to give him x-rays afterwards. And I was curious that the, it was x-rays and not MRI. X-rays uh, suggest a, a bone, you know, a fracture. Davey, I, I asked him, he, he tried to play it off and just say, hey, you know, we just want to be sure about this because it did act up as the game went on. I, I would imagine even if the x-ray doesn't show any kind of fracture that they are going to want an MRI at some point, I'd be really surprised if he plays Thursday afternoon. It's a quick turnaround to the series finale. But watching that play live, he's rounding first and he went down, you know, non-contact. And I had this, this thought, and I think a lot of people had the same thought, oh no, Achilles. It looked like that kind of a play. And then Paul Assard, the head trainer, comes out, starts working on it. You're thinking, okay, maybe it's not that. And then all of a sudden, Roblitz gets up and starts not only walking it off, but jogging it off. And he stays in the game, which I was stunned at. And, you know, honestly, I felt like, and I tweeted at the time, don't be surprised if he ends up leaving this game at some point, because it's going to start to swell up. He's probably running on adrenaline at that point. And sure enough, there was a play in the field later where he wasn't able to really go all out for it in center field. And you kind of thought, okay, that might be the sign. And he came out of the game. So let's see. Hopefully it isn't anything serious because he had a really nice game. He is starting to pick things up a lot and they cannot afford to lose him for any amount of time. But props to Andrew Stevenson for a great diving catch after he replaced him and a play that Robles probably could not have physically made. So that wound up helping them a lot in what proved to be a one-run game. Yeah, Stevenson comes into the game, makes a Robles-like catch, a terrific diving forward backhanded catch in shallow center field on a one-out flyout by Chris Bryant with a runner on second, one out 
and the Nats nursing a 4-2 lead in the bottom of the seventh. And then Stevenson channeled his inner Robles by drawing a leadoff hit by pitch in the top of the ninth inning. So, I mean, we know Stevenson is capable of. He's been a really nice player for the Nationals off the bench the last few years, but to see him make that instant impact, it's so funny. It's such a cliche in baseball, right? The ball will find you when you get thrust into a game. It does seem to happen a lot, and it happened clearly with Stevenson on Wednesday night. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And like I said, if Robles is still in the field, I don't think he's able to make that play. Uh, he's certainly he's probably not going all out for it the way that Stevenson did. So smart move there. You know, a little bit of an underrated part of this game. Maybe we're going to get to some of this also. But once Davies ejected and Tim Bogar takes over as bench coach, I thought he did a really nice job managing the end of this game, the way he used the bullpen, bringing in Daniel Hudson for a key spot in the seventh, then getting him into the eighth, the defensive changes. I thought that that was a very nice job. And, and I know he's Davies in communication with them and they mapped things out before the game and during the game. So I, I think he was doing what he felt Davey would have done. But in what proved to be a very tight game that one little mistake could have cost them, I thought Tim Bogart did a nice job managing the last few innings. Yeah, I want to ask you, I mean, when a guy gets ejected as Davey was, he, he's only in the clubhouse or in his office. I mean, can't he be communicating with Bogart and just telling him what to do? There are ways to do that, the little chain of uh, lieutenants along the way that you can yell things out to. But he said he was in the office to sometimes the guy was sort of like hide right behind the uh, the dugout tunnel. There's the famous Bobby Valentine incident where he shows up with the eye black mustache and everything. Davey said he was in the, in the uh, office. And I'm wondering, because this is at the same time this is all happening, was he watching the Nats game or double overtime of Caps and Bruins? Ugh. Maybe that got him so fired up, the end of that game. But no, he insists he was watching on TV and he said that, you know, he and Boger, this is what happens with the bench coach. They're involved in every decision. So before the game, they have a plan for how they think it might go. And during the game, they, they talk about things. So I don't know if there was a, an explicit directive for him to do anything late in the game or if he was just doing what they probably already had discussed. But I thought it was telling that they did use Hudson in the seventh inning against the heart of the Cubs lineup. And that proved to be huge. Those were two really big outs. And then Hudson came back to finish out the eighth. And that at least gave Brad Hand a little more cushion for the ninth because, boy, he needed all the cushion they could provide him in a very tense bottom of the ninth. He absolutely did. I mean, as good as Finnegan and Hudson were, and Hudson, I mean, you can't say enough about this guy. He now is an ERA of 129, a whip of 071 on the season. Brad Hand, I mean, that should not have been the stressful ninth inning that that ended up being. Brad Hand needed to throw 25 pitches in that bottom of the ninth inning, ultimately only gives up one run, but ultimately has a bad outing for a fourth time in five appearances. So we're back to having the conversation now about what's going on with Brad Hand off an outstanding start to his season. That, that's what's so kind of surprising about this. Uh, Hand giving up a one-out solo homer to Javier Baez and a two-out single to Chris Bryant. Now, what's kind of funny is that Hand also had three strikeouts. He struck out the other three batters he faced, Nico Horner, Jock Peterson, and pinch hitter Matt Duffy. But like I said, Hand threw a ton of pitches in that inning, including eight pitches apiece to Peterson and Duffy. Hand got behind Peterson 3-1. So it was not an easy, breezy ninth inning for sure. Ultimately, the Nats come away with the win. But like we were saying, you weren't that far off from this game being a loss. No, you weren't. And that was a strange ninth inning because, like you said, the three strikeouts, he made some really good pitches in some big moments there. So I don't want to make it sound like he was a disaster. This was not like the Yankee series where he couldn't find the plate at all. That wasn't the issue. He gave up a homer to Javi Baez, who will swing at anything and, and has the ability to hit anything out. And then the single to Bryant. So, I mean, th those are a couple of really good hitters. You know what bugged me the most about it? We talked about Soto getting caught stealing in the top of the ninth. 
the way they just let Chris Bryant steal second without a throw, like they didn't even care about it. That's the tying run with two outs in the ninth. All of a sudden, a base hit scores him and ties the game. I get it. Like your focus, you just need to get the hitter out and the game's over, but pay a little attention to the runner. Don't just hand him a base, make him earn it. And it didn't feel like they made him earn that one at all. And Gomes has been great at throwing out attempted base dealers so far right, this season. Right. You know, it's not Suzuki back there. Like, you got a guy who's been awesome when it comes to that so far this year. And for whatever reason, you choose not to attempt to throw him out. Hey, everyone. Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. So we've all had that dream, right? Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than one shot to swing for the fences because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. That's right. New users Get up to $1,000 back in site credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back in site credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. Games on Thursday afternoon include the New York Yankees at the Texas Rangers at 2.05. The former Nats prospect Dane Dunning is starting for the Rangers. The over might be the play there. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Max is ready for the 3-2 pitch. There goes Peterson, the delivery. Struck him out, swinging with a fastball at 97, and Max Scherzer's all alone in 19th place on the all-time strikeout list. He has passed Jim Bunning, career strikeout 2,856 for Max Scherzer. Well, this doesn't happen often, but in a Max Scherzer-started game, Scherzer's like the C-topic in our Nats Chat podcast, but that's kind of the way things went on Wednesday night. Second straight game in which Max Scherzer doesn't eat up a lot of innings. Uh, He only lasts five innings in this game on Wednesday night. Does allow just two runs. I mean, it's not like he got shelled or anything like that, but he threw 100 pitches over the five innings, 66 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, He had the high pitch count really for two reasons. Number one, a lot of walks uncharacteristically, four walks for Max Scherzer. He came into the game having given up just eight walks over eight starts on the season, has just four walks in just the game on Wednesday night. Only gave up five hits, all of which were singles, many of which were like fluke bloop singles. So again, it's not like he got tattooed, but he also had eight strikeouts, which is great, but the pitch count was driven up. Uh, He had a milestone strikeout. He got past the Baseball Hall of Famer Jim Bunning for 19th on MLB's all-time career regular season strikeouts list. But, you know, that was a shame of this game, too, is that here you have Scherzer. He's not coming off a game in which he threw a bunch. And in this game, you're only able to use him for five innings because, again, that pitch count got so high. Yes, remember how I think in our preview of this game, I brought that up, that it was the shorter outing for him in Arizona. Maybe they pulled him early and that would allow him to extend a little bit in this game. Well, I was wrong. That didn't happen at all. 
I thought at the end of the fifth at 100 pitches, maybe they would let him go back out. But he used up so much in that fifth. That was the definition of a high stress inning there. 34 pitches facing some tough hitters, long at bats. I mean, he got out of it to his credit and all gave up the one run. But I think they just realized that he was spent after that and no reason to try to push it, at least this early in the year. But that was a grind of a start for him. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is that it's Max Scherzer. And on a night when he clearly had to grind his way through it, he still only gives up two runs and he strikes out eight in five innings. That's just how good he is. The other thing that struck me about it was that I think we mentioned this one too. Going into this game, he'd only given up 12 earned runs this year. 11 of them had come on home runs. And the 12th one came on that fly ball that Robles lost in the sun at Dodger Stadium. Teams do not produce rallies against him. They do not get three, four hits in an inning to score runs. And this is the first time all year that he was singled to death, if you want to call it that. A couple singles in the second, three hits in the fifth. And again, to his credit, he was able to just to minimize it to the two runs. So he didn't give up the long ball, which was great. But this was an unusual Max Scherzer start. This was, in a lot of ways, just not a typical Max Scherzer start. No, and, and it reminded me actually in some ways of the Patrick Corbin start the previous game and that Corbin got babbipped in that game. And I, I thought that happened to Max on Wednesday night. I mean, you go back to the one-run bottom of the fifth for the Cubs, the one-out broken bat single by Jake Arrieta, the Cubs starting pitcher on an 0-2 pitch. I mean, Arrieta had no business getting a hit in that spot, and yet he did. The ribby single in that inning with one out, the blooper by Ian Happ to center field. I mean, again, you know, an excuse me kind of thing that ends up being a hit. So that happens sometimes. Uh, you'd say, well, that happens to guys who don't miss bats. Scherzer does miss bats. He did miss bats a bunch on Wednesday night, eight strikeouts. But in those instances in which he did miss bats, unfortunately, he got got to a certain extent. But the Nats are able to come through with the win. They will not be the victims of a four-game sweep at the Cubs, thankfully. And now can actually forge a two-game split in the series. Game four at the Cubs, 2-20 on Thursday afternoon. Joe Ross versus Trevor Williams. Williams, another one of these opposing pitchers facing the Nats. He struggled this year, 627 ERA over eight starts. I would ask you, Mark, if Joe Ross is pitching for his spot in the rotation, but that apparently has been put to the side. It is amazing in baseball and really in sports how so often situations kind of work themselves out, right? All this conversation about, well, Steven Strasburg is coming off the 10-day injured list. What's going to happen to Eric Fetty? How is it going to play out? On Wednesday, as if the baseball gods are watching and mocking all of us, the Nats put Fetty and Tanner Rainey on the COVID-19 injured list due to one of them having tested positive for COVID-19 and the other guy having been deemed a close contact. We do now know which one is which, thanks to Max Scherzer's post-game Zoom press conference. First of all, let me just point out, I think I told you weeks ago when we were trying to figure out, well, who's going to lose their job? What do they do when Strasburg comes back? I said, these things always have a way of working themselves out. And they did. Now, it's unfortunate this is the way that it had to work out. Obviously, the good news is Eric Fetty, who, as Max Scherzer ultimately revealed after the game, was vaccinated and tested positive. He is asymptomatic. There is nothing wrong with him aside from the fact that he is tested positive for it. And I'm not going to go off into a whole thing about vaccinations here. But as Davey Martinez said, that's evidence of a vaccine working. It, it's not 100 percent to prevent you from getting the virus but it's pretty close to 100% from preventing you from getting seriously ill from it. And so ultimately, Eric Fetty may have to go on the IL right now, but it doesn't appear that he is in any uh, serious risk to himself or even to others. And that was Max Scherzer's point. And I think the reason that he did out him after the game is that Max is saying the protocol should be different for vaccinated players. They should be allowed to be back out there and not have to go on the IL. Now, the way it does work, it is different 
than an unvaccinated player, which is now what we are to presume Tanner Rainey is because Davey said one of them was vaccinated and one was not. The unvaccinated player must sit through the full quarantine. So that's up to 10 days before they can come back, even if they never test positive. The vaccinated player, he still has to test negative, and I think more than once. But if it were to happen within a couple of days, he could be activated and come back. But Max's point is he should be allowed to be out there right now, that they shouldn't have to wait at all because he was vaccinated. He's asymptomatic. By all accounts, he's not transmitting it to anyone else as far as we know. It's a weird situation. Obviously, it's unfortunate. I suppose the timing works out okay for the Nats because it looks like Strasburg can just come back and take his spot on Friday. So a few things. I think Max is right. I mean, if you want to encourage people to get vaccinated, you really should relax these things even more because we know you can do so safely. Otherwise, I think a lot of people will look at this and say, well, Fetty got vaccinated and he still had to miss X amount of time. Although to your point, the protocols are relaxed to at least a certain extent. The other thing, though, would be this. So I don't know, like, to what extent Max is trying to make a point with this or not, or Davey was. But now we know Fetty got vaccinated, Rainey didn't. And while that maybe makes Fetty look better, it makes Rainey look worse. I wonder if Rainey's happy about this, because now I could see him getting some grief from some people. Of, hey, how come you haven't gotten vaccinated? What's wrong with you? And, you know, where are you coming from on this? So I don't know. I'm kind of like, if I'm Rainey, am I happy about this? That, you know, Davey did say before the game, well, the guy who tested positive got vaccinated, the guy who didn't did not. Then Max, after the game, says, well, Fetty's the guy who had COVID. So we know Fetty's the one who got vaccinated. Now Rainey's kind of put in a weird spot. But you know, the other thing too is, and I was surprised by this, that Davey in his pregame Zoom presser said the Nats still have not gotten to that 85% threshold. That's surprising. I would have thought that the Nats would have gotten to that threshold by now. For those listening who don't know, 85% is a magic number. If a baseball team's tier one personnel, which is basically the players, the coaching staff, and some other key people are vaccinated, you're allowed to relax a bunch of the COVID-19 protocol. So forget about where you stand on vaccinations and you know your politics, whatever. There's a competitive advantage to being vaccinated. And the Nats, it looked like we're getting there. I remember there was a day on which, right, where Davey said a bunch of guys got the vaccine, but they're still not there. And this Fetty Rainey thing is kind of a reminder of if you do get there, there's a real advantage to that. We obviously already went through something like this with the Nats earlier this season. Everyone is sick of talking about COVID-19 and the protocols, et cetera. But here we have to go again, at least to a lesser extent, uh, with the Nationals and the COVID situation. And I think that's why Max said what he did. Max is very calculated with these things. He knew he wanted to say that. It didn't just come blurted out by accident. He knew he wanted to make that point. And I think it may be in part, number one, because he doesn't like the rule and the protocol that that Fetty has to go on the IL. But he may also be sending a message to some teammates, Tanner Rainey being one of them, but obviously there are at least a few others who have been holdouts to say, hey, even if you don't believe in the vaccines, there is a competitive reason to do this. A bunch of us on the team have gotten it. And if we just get a few more, we can now be in a different position than we were with these protocols. We could be one of, you know, not every team in baseball has reached that point yet. I think it, 12 was the number so far we've heard who have actually crossed the threshold. So I think there is some internal pressure within the clubhouse from those who got vaccinated to those who didn't to say, hey, just get it done it will help all of us do it. If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the team. And it's a compelling message. I don't know if it'll change anyone's minds, but I think Max Scherzer is obviously the leader of the team, a big uh, member of the union. I think he knew exactly what he was doing and was speaking not just to the public, but maybe to some other people on the team who he's trying to convince to say, go get this thing done. 
do it for our sake, not just for your sake. Yeah. I mean, if Davey doesn't say things the way he says things prior to the game, then we don't know about Tanner Rainey's vaccination status. But now we know that, you know, and, and Max, like you said, saying as he said after the game lets you know that. So, you know, as much as people can look at Fetty one way now, you also can look at Rainey in another way. And I'm interested to see if he gets heat for this or not. You know, it's not really fair to, but, you know, even though, I, I mean, to me, you should get vaccinated. I got it. All the science says that you should. But, you know, the thing of like shaming him, I think, is is kind of an interesting issue. So we'll see where it goes. It's, it stinks that we have to have this conversation again about the Nats in a COVID-19 situation. But uh, such is life in 2021. All right. Uh, if you have not gotten your Nats Chat podcast t-shirt yet, do yourself a favor. Get it for you. Get it for someone you know. Big Nats fan, listener to this podcast. Uh, the website, natschatpodcast.square.site. It's a great looking shirt. We've gotten a lot of great feedback to this already. Inventory does remain. They are selling quickly, though. But the website is natschatpodcast.square.site. That site. This is a lengthy installment of the show. We do want to get back, though, in future installments to your voice memos. We get a lot of good ones in terms of your opinions on the Nationals, your takes on what's happening with the Nats, your questions for us on the podcast. Again, just record a voice memo on your smartphone, email it to us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always tweet us your thoughts on the Nats at Nats underscore chat. All Nationals radio highlights on that chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. First pitch to Turner. And a full swing and a dribbler up the third base side. This is going to be a tough chance. Peacock hurries his throw, and the ball gets away. The ball threw Gurriel down the right field line. Gomes is going to head for third and Turner to second as Gurriel's glove got knocked off, and they're going to call Turner out for being out of the baseline. Oh, my. So instead of second and third, they're going to send Gomes back to first, and Turner is out for being out of the baseline. And Davey Martinez is livid at Sam Holbrook. So Turner is out, and Gomes goes all the way back to first, and Martinez is steaming, pointing up the line, saying this is where Turner was running, right down the line.